Hello friends, and welcome back to Ghoul's Night In, the spooky chat show with your best ghoul friends. I'm Penny Snark. And I'm Midge Munster. Well, uh, Penny, we yes. are continuing on our tour of things that made up my entire personality. Alright, <laughs> alright. Uh, I figured since I just did Poe, might as well just continue the, the pattern of doing things mm -hmm. that are near and dear to my heart. And since it's still freaking cold, at least here in the Midwest, yep. uh, it's a perfect time of year for a little binge TV watching. And I thought I would give our listeners a recommendation for what it is, in my opinion, the best television program of all time. So um, <clears throat> if you will, join me while I introduce this episode. The facts were these. Young Midge was 13 years, 11 months, and 26 days old when a new show aired for the first time on October 3rd, 2007 on ABC. From that point forward, on Wednesdays, she would perch on the edge of her seat at 7 p.m. Central Time while her mother popped back and forth from the kitchen making dinner, and together they would watch the show that would forever change young Midge's life. Pushing ah, daisies. Pushing daisies! <laughs> pushing daisies! Uh, now, for the 12 other people out there who have seen this show, <laughs> um, they all just simultaneously gasped and are doing yes. a, a happy dance in their chair. Um, but for those of you who have not yet been baptized by the church of Brian Fuller, this show, Pushing Daisies, uh, is the perfect series, in my opinion, my, my humble... <laughs> My Hubble judgment, uh, like I said, created by Brian Fuller, and it is a show about a pie maker who can touch dead things and bring them back to life. And it's a little bit more complicated than that, but we'll touch on that in a moment. Mm -hmm. So, Penny, uh, as we have well established here on Ghoul's Night In, you <laughs> are a, a Brian F Fuller girly as well. Yes, yes. <laughs> Um, what was your experience with Pushing Daisies? Did you watch it while it was on the air or did you discover it later? I did watch it while it was on the air. Um, I, yeah, I definitely watched it with my family when it premiered. Um, and then that was right when I was going to college. So I did not have a tv but i managed always to like get together with some friends there i had a little a little group um of friends at college including caitlin um who Mark. were my pushing daisies girlies <laughs> and we would always watch together and uh i just loved this show it i i know that you will get into all of the reasons um that yes. is is lovable um but it it was just something that just felt like such a revelation to me watching it for the oh. first time just like in like this kind of like in the in the landscape of just kind of shows that like were 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 good like i liked shows but this was a show that was just like so unique that and spoke to me so deeply <laughs> yeah it was the first time i remember watching a show and being like this is for me yeah this is like this was written for me um yes so this is going to be probably a very um crimson peaky episode in the sense yes. that and i both have a deep affection for this show and everything about it but um i want to give those of you who have not gotten to experience it yet a little bit of a um precursor of just kind mm. of the, the vibe of the plot and what this show is about so i can hopefully convince you to also partake in it yes um, 
So like I mentioned, our main character, the pie maker, also named Ned, uh, played by Lee Pace, which uh, that alone should be enough for you to watch this show. <laughs> those eyebrows, those forearms, what else could a girl want? No one has ever been more handsome than Lee Pace, no. or especially Lee Pace in this role. Like he's always just in like a black t-shirt and like an apron, but he's got his little arms out and he's just so he's such a soft boy in this i oh love him so much um so ned has the power like i mentioned to bring dead things back to life with one touch um however ned quickly discovers right out the gate in the pilot episode that there are a few caveats to his power so the first being that he can only bring something back to life for one minute before death comes to kind of balance the score so if he keeps the dead al uh the alive again person or thing um alive for more than that minute a life of similar value has to take its place mm -hmm. so if it's like a fly that he's brought back to life a like frog might die like something small but yeah. if he brings back a person another person has to die um and it also is a like vicinity based thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah. uh, anyone in the immediate vicinity is affected by this power. Uh, the other stipulation is that if he touches the alive again person again, they become dead again forever. So uh, he uses this power in a few ways. Uh, like we mentioned, he's a pie maker. So he has the ability to touch rotted fruit and make it like perfectly ripe <laughs> so he makes like the best pies um which i've always wondered they never really address this in the show of like what's paying the price for the pie fruit yeah because he does it every day i'm assuming it's just like maybe there's a grocer next door whose fruit's going bad really Probably, fast yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the one loose end that i've always been like who's paying the price for those fruits um but he also gets teamed up with a forensic investigator named Emerson Codd, who is played by Chai McBride. Um, and he uses this power in tandem with Emerson to help solve murders. They'll go to a morgue and touch the murdered person and ask them who murdered them and <laughs> solve the case, get the, the monetary reward. Pretty sweet gig. There you go. Um, so it's already a super fun setup for a show. It's kind of a kind of a forensic cop drama, but also not at all. Yeah. Um, but what really adds the the extra stakes here is that everything changes when Ned's childhood sweetheart, Charlotte Charles, who mostly is called Chuck throughout the show, played by Anna Friel, turns up murdered on a cruise ship uh, with a large reward for the solving of her murder. And after he brings her back, Ned cannot bring himself to make her dead again. And so Chuck joins the, the crime fighting crew. <laughs> and all the while, uh, her and Ned are kind of developing this, redeveloping this romance they had as children, but they can never touch again. Oh, <sighs> drama. Drama. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> this was... Um, this was before twilight like this yeah. was the original <laughs> we can't touch we're in love what we can't touch <laughs> drama um 
So I know that seems like a lot of information, but would you believe that's basically just the first episode? <laughs> uh, all that happens very quickly in the pilot or the the pilot, as it's called, yes. which I think is very funny. Um, but the rest of the show was uh, referred to by Brian Fuller as a forensic fairy tale. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just a like delightfully dark, whimsical jaunt through life and death. Uh, each episode kind of is a standalone piece that focuses on a different murder that they are solving, but also simultaneously building the story between Ned and Chuck and Emerson and our fourth main player, Olive Snook, who is played by the one and only Kristen Chenoweth. Uh, Cheno. Which I was, um, by this point, like, a, I mean, you know, I was a theater kid. Um, so this was like, I was already deep in the wicked bullshit oh, by same, this point. Same. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so when Chino came on the scene, I was, I was fully sold if I wasn't already. Uh, but yeah, throughout the show, we also get a lot of other just like star studded performances. We've also got Ellen Green and Swoozie Kurtz. Um, playing Chuck's aunts in this, which is like a, a freaking gift. They're actually mm-hmm. possibly uh, my favorite characters so in the good. show. Um, but we also get all kinds of amazing guest appearances from like Rolla Sparza, Molly Shannon, David Arquette, uh, Paul Rubens plays like a recurring character for a while. It's really just an amazing cast. Um, but What's also really stand out about this show is the visual design. Mm-hmm. Uh, so production designer Michael Wiley said that he wanted to make the show look like a storybook that had come to life um, and tried to capture the idea that everything was like an illustration. And I would definitely say that they achieved that. This oh, yeah. is one of the most <laughs> visually stunning productions that has ever occurred. Um Every set on the show is just, like, grandiose, over-the-top, packed with, like, contrasting patterns and color. It's just a visual feast. Uh, One of my favorite aspects of the show, which, Penny, I think you are going to know exactly where I'm going with this. uh, They do this, like, kind of visual gag that they reuse throughout the series with a repeated pattern where they will have a room where usually I think it's like mostly the characters' bedrooms, mm-hmm. but everything is the same pattern. Yes. The wallpaper, <laughs> the carpet, the bedspread, the curtain, the characters' pajamas that they're in, like literally everything in the room. They went to spoonflower.com yes. <laughs> and they <ordered laughs> the full ensemble. Um, it's so bizarre and amazing and hilarious, but also like kind of, it has like a haunting quality. It's like, whoa, that's jarring, but fun. yeah, yeah, I know. And it's just, it's so interesting because, like, I feel like when you describe the plot of it, it sounds like kind of like a dark show, and it isn't not a dark show, but visually, it's not at all dark. It's like no. candy colored, incredibly beautiful, but like, like you said, in a way that is like sort of so perfect that it's kind of off putting. Yeah. in like the in the best way like you're kind of like oh like this is like a slightly like cracked kaleidoscope Ex- yeah that's a good way of putting it so yeah i had a moment where i was like is this a good topic for the podcast because it's not like spooky but it i mean it literally it's a show about a guy that can bring the dead back to life that's right. what it is you know like it's and, and like the the body the, like the 
it's none of it is played like dramatically general like you have these bodies that do like, like brutally horrifying <laughs> like like I, I think i remember like a guy who was like run over and has like the tire tracks marks in his, his face. face and so like or there like are the things that like, mauled by his dog and yes. like, literally a whole bite of his face is like taken out of his face yeah and it's like it they could be like in a super gory horror movie but they're not super gory they're like you said it's like this like story like if someone was like doing a kid's storybook and was like well gotta illustrate this guy who got mauled by dogs <laughs> yeah it's um yeah it's just a bizarre juxtaposition and it's really fun um the they also achieve that same storybook effect with a lot of the way the sh the show is shot they do mm -hmm. a lot of these top-down shots um which really give you as the viewer this fe like feel of almost kind of looking into a pop-up book yeah. which is a very cool thing um and they use a mix of real sets and painted backdrops um which kind of gives it again that disjointed effect that's like too perfect um and of course the ultimate visual in this show for me is ned's shop which is called yes. the pie hole mm. um as in shut your <laughs> i think is what olive says yes but um the building is like the awning is a giant pie crust and yes. that It'll, that is like done in cgi so there's this blend where it doesn't feel um out of place but there are multiple moments anytime we get like city shots and things where it's definitely done in like blue screen or cgi yeah <laughs> um so it's just yeah it's kind of a, a a real smorgasbord situation but it works perfectly um the dialogue also is like really unique and fast-paced and quippy and and every episode features a, a narrator character which is kind of a unique spin to the yes, show i was gonna say i was like when is midge gonna bring up the most storybook part is that there is <laughs> a narrator and it's um jim dale right who it's jim dale yes famously um i mean uh, uh pox on them now uh but narrated the very good harry potter audiobooks yeah um, no longer recommended um but he is an extremely good narrator and He's just like very this good extremely charming like british narration voice yeah and he reads i mean he narrates every episode so for those of you who are who are new here to this <laughs> world um that little opening monologue that i gave uh every murder he gives us he reads us like the murder evidence, like a bedtime mm -hmm. story almost. Yes. <laughs> and he gives us a little thing that always starts with the facts were these and spells out what happened in this murder. Um, so that's a fun little detail that I've never really seen done successfully in any other show. Mm -hmm. It's kind of, I mean, I guess it's a little bit like Amelie-esque. Yeah. Um, but it's just, I don't know. The show's perfect. <laughs> no <laughs> notes. Um kind of uh, coming back to what you were saying penny about the, the shattered kaleidoscope effect uh i was also going to bring up i call this the love witch effect oh um, yeah if you've ever seen the film the love witch you have this feeling like you don't ever really know when you are yeah. like mm -hmm. what time frame this is taking place in and uh pushing and it in the love witch it feels um disorienting pushing daisies 
does this too and it i think it's meant to be a bit disorienting but it's also like really charming um so you know that it's modern like you know it's happening in presumably a time around when is now Mm -hmm. (laughs) when is Uh, now (laughs) but also like chuck is always dressed in immaculate vintage fashion that's so cute and the cars in the show are also all like vintage cars but they look like they are fresh off the production line Mm -hmm. like it doesn't look like someone's owned this car for 40 years it's like a brand new vintage car um so it's all just very interesting uh while we're (laughs) while we're on the subject of chuck's fashion on a scale of one to ten penny how much did this impact you as a young person (laughs) yes very much so yeah i i mean i think i I don't i think we i don't remember if i've given if this penny backstory has been on the podcast i know i've talked about on instagram but like at this time in my life i was wearing like jeans and the same oversized hoodie like every day so like i was definitely not a fashion girly at this time and i was just like dazzled by the show (laughs) and chuck's beautiful outfits and like i know we're not even talking outfits but like the ant's house is like uh, a maximalist fantasy it's so good and their fashion yes their fashion too too. yeah um now granted like this was also i I was also not a fashion girly yet i was definitely wearing like flare jeans and like graphic (laughs) t-shirts and the same yellow converse every day um but granted this this is 2007 when this comes out so we're already like on the precipice of the tumblr twee mod cloth heyday that was the like early mid aughts Mm -hmm. (laughs) but this was like ahead of its time we we had not even hit zoe deschanel yet like she doesn't become popular till 2009 when she starts really like showing up in films yeah so chuck was kind of like the first time i had ever seen a woman dressed like that that wasn't in an old movie yeah and i was just like freaking obsessed i and also (laughs) just like chuck is i i love i love chuck so much and just like having a a character who is like this immaculately dressed like incredibly cute but like is not in other ways like a girly girl type character right she's very like, you know, like, like solid she's, of herself yeah, she's not she's, a pick the dream girl yeah and like she's very assertive like she you know has her own goals and aspirations that she's going for and i think that that is just like a lot of times when you see a character who's like very fashionable or like very aesthetically focused in a piece of media like they're often not someone yeah they're 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 presented as very vapid and so i always really loved that like she looked cute but also she was getting shit done yeah and she it's interesting because like um i think what the writers and like brian fuller did really well with this character too is that she is that arc like she presents as the archetype of the manic pixie and ned almost at certain points wants her to be that Mm -hmm. but then she never allows it to be that um and it's it's really and i mean i think ned is presented in a way that it's very earnest too like he's not an a-hole no (laughs) but but when he is an a-hole she like shuts it down immediately um so yeah she's an amazing anna friel plays this role like 
nobody's freaking business. I also didn't know until maybe six years ago that she was not American. No, yeah, yeah. I, I saw an interview with her and like, I was like, what? oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I had to make like a side note here because it's funny, but like embarrassing and so of the time. Uh, so when Pinterest like hit the hit the bricks mm-hmm. in 2009, I had so many boards that were just photos of Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> like I literally had one that was called WWCW. What would Chuck oh wear? Gosh. That was just like fashion inspo based on Chuck. And I also had a dedicated board to the pushing daisies themed wedding that i was going to have apparently where there was gonna be like a pie bar (laughs) and i had all this like be like hexagonal like honeycomb it was it was out of control like this show took over my brain (laughs) so quickly taylor understandable uh, you can thank years of maturity for you not having to go through a pushing daisies themed wedding (laughs) (laughs) uh speaking speaking of pie i am gonna tell you all right now that if you're gonna start watching this show get a pie before get a pie you're going to i was gonna say want you're going to need it this show is pie pornography just trust me on this every time i watch this show i'm like god damn it i need some pie it's so beautiful um but Obviously, I have a lot of great things to say about this show, um, but so did the critics. Uh, Pushing Daisies received like a buttload of acclaim in mm-hmm. its first season. It had 17 primetime Emmy nominations. It won seven of those. Um, so now some of you may be sitting here thinking, wow, this show sounds incredible. Why have I never heard anything about it? <laughs> well, uh, well, well. Sadly, Pushing Daisies uh, was one of the casualties of the 2007 writer's strike. Uh, So this show has only 22 episodes total over two seasons. Uh, It was extremely short-lived over far too soon. Um, (laughs) The show, when it was greenlit in 2007, ABC had ordered a... Well, they ordered the first half of the season. So they had ordered 13 of what was going to be a 22-episode first season. At that time, only nine of the episodes were written when the show started production. So when the writer's strike started in November of 2007, the ninth episode ended up being rewritten and adjusted to become season one's, quote, finale. Um, and they tailored, retailored it a little bit to end on a cliffhanger. Uh, which thankfully it did come back in November yes. of 2008. <laughs> we don't end on that cliffhanger, thank goodness. Um, and we did get season two, but post strike, the ratings never recovered. Yeah. Um, I still to this, like, this is my villain origin story. I still don't understand fully like what happened because this show hit the ground running so hard. It, it it's the the fuller curse i don't know <laughs> he's, it's like he's too brilliant and people yeah. can't handle it i don't know it. um but yeah by november of 2008 abc had canceled the show and the last scheduled aired episode happened on december 17th 2008 now what was interesting about this is that the way this happened so they 
had only ordered the front half of that second season, the 13 episodes of, again, what would have been a 22-episode season. So we only had the 13, but the way that the schedule happened with the airing, when that last scheduled episode aired in December, there were three episodes that never got shown on TV. Yeah. Um, They went unaired. And eventually they were shown at some festivals and things um, until a year later in 2009, ABC was like, fine, we'll air them. (laughs) Um, I, I don't know if they still do this kind of shit anymore, but that was like so much the thing in those days that like networks would just air things just bonkers like and you just, just be like knowing. how what are you trying to do and then they'd be like it's weird no one likes the show and it's like well you showed like you skipped two episodes and no one knows what's happening anymore yeah well and then when they finally showed the last three episodes they showed them on saturday nights at 10 p.m <sighs> who's hello <laughs> uh so I mean, you know, in the end, I'm glad we have those final three episodes. Um, They certainly did not answer all the questions or, like, complete the narrative Mm -hmm. of the series. Uh, And so there have been endless talks. If you are are like Penny and I and you have been on this train for the long 15 years, (laughs) uh, there have been so many different things where the show was going to get rebooted or finished in some way. Um, the show had distributed at uh, San Diego Comic-Con in 2007, a comic book that included additional mystery storylines and things that were not a part of the series. And so there had been talk of continuing the show in that form because they had already kind of started that narrative. Um, so there was going to be a comic to finish up the storyline. And then that evolved in 2011, they were talking about a graphic novel that was supposed to fully finish out the series and then the publisher that they had for those comics went under so they lost the publisher that project came to a halt then later in 2011 brian fuller at another con uh was quoted as saying that he wanted to try to do pushing daisies as a mini series for stars and then in 2012, <laughs> he started talking about the possibility of making it into a Broadway musical and bringing Kristen Chenoweth back in, uh, which I think would be dope. I really do. Dope. I would love to see the pie hole as a uh, like a rotating set on a Broadway stage. I think that'd be so cool. Um, and... In 2014, Brian Fuller was also supposedly in conversations with Warner Brothers about a film adaptation of Pushing Daisies. Uh, He even, I mean, he made a comment when we saw him two years ago at Midsummer Scream. Uh, Penny and I got to see a panel with Brian, which was like the best day of our lives. Um, And he said something to the effect of like, well, we, we, like, we've got something in the works, wink, wink. (laughs) Um... But alas, Pushing Daisy seems to be the project that was never meant to be finished. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's it's great that obviously he still, you know, loves the series and wants yeah. to do more of it, um, which, I mean, is the key, most key thing. Um, now we just have to get someone else to want to let him do that. <laughs> yeah, and I think, like, 
I don't know. That's my perception. I honestly don't know Brian on a personal level. No, but like, of course not. Like whenever people ask him about the series or it comes up, like I can tell that it was one of his favorite projects. Like he he obviously has such a like big love for it. Um, yeah, and like like you said, when because we 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 mentioned pushing daisies when we like got up to the stage to like talk to him personally oh, yeah. he, like, and like his he eyes lit, lit, he up. lit up when we met when we were like we're huge pushing daisies fans <laughs> yeah um but i also understand like at the level of that production i'm sure it'd be so expensive oh, yeah. and so it's not like something that they can you know easily throw into production and just like finish it up you know yeah for sure <laughs> um but what i will say considering how this show went out i do feel like it ends on a good note um if you're feeling now suspicious about watching (laughs) something knowing that it was canceled um it's not perfect but it does give you a sense of closure to the point where i think you can kind of fill in your own like oh and they they here's here's how they went and everything was fine (laughs) uh it yeah it's it but like also like you said at the beginning like a lot of the show is very episodic so like obviously want there to be a you know kind of larger summation for like the characters yeah but like most of the episodes are like you know here's them doing the thing and oh the thing happened so like you're it's not i i would say it's not like they like canceled like game of thrones early and you're right. like well fuck, like it w- it's pointless to watch this if i don't know like the the de- the end yeah so, like it's it's fun for the journey <laughs> and because it is so like fantastical and whimsical i think like i said your brain kind of can tell yourself where where it went after yeah. that uh so i mean if you're looking for a show if you <laughs> hey there listener are you looking for a show that is just like the epitome of pastel goth dark storylines just wrapped up in vintage dresses and served a la mode pushing daisies is the show for you i i think this is like the show for me this if i was gonna tell someone to watch one piece of media to get to know who i am as a person this (laughs) is the one yeah i see that for sure Uh, my my mom got me the box set of the seasons for Christmas in 2009, and I remember opening them up and like openly weeping because, <laughs> because well for for our young listeners here, this was like before streaming services yeah. were commonplace in the household. So like if you didn't have a hard copy of something, especially something niche like this, it yeah. didn't exist. It was nowhere. So uh that was like the best gift i've ever received and i have rewatched that ser- box series like at least once a year for the last 15 years uh and i i just can't recommend it enough so uh, as we power through these last super cold dreary months mm-hmm. of the year uh if you're looking for something to just brighten your day pushing daisies it's currently streaming on hbo max uh thankfully someone finally put it on a streamer somewhere (laughs) i was gonna say i mean those were the days before streaming but these days streaming is a big question mark so definitely good to get your hands on a hard copy of something if you love it yeah go go buy a box set of pushing daisies if you fall in love with it because it tends to disappear off streaming pretty frequently it was on amazon prime for like six months at one point and then it disappeared and then it popped back up on max so uh yeah Get you a hard copy if you love it. And uh, for those of us who loved this show 
people are like diehard about it. So if you are a person who loved pushing daisies and you are listening to this episode, please, please, please come talk to us about it. <laughs> uh, go go over to Instagram, leave us a comment, leave us a DM, leave us a review about how much you loved this show. Uh, I love nerding out about this with with fellow fans, and I was so excited when Penny and I discovered that this was a mutual yes. a mutual love that we had. Uh, but if you would like to t- chat with us about pushing daisies and other things that we are obsessed with, you can find us over on Instagram at Ghouls Night in Pod. Uh, if you are enjoying the podcast, it would mean so much to us if you would leave us a review if you're able where you listen. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, you should be able to leave us one there. Uh, you can also leave a Spotify comment or you can shoot us a DM over on that Instagram page. Um, Penny, I believe, has a Spotify comment to share with us today. I do. I actually have two comments from our recent Poe episode that I thought you might like to hear. Um, The first one is more of a traditional review. Um, It's from Adriana Grace, who says, absolutely loved exclamation point this exclamation point episode exclamation point the entire pod is such a highlight for me every day as i love listening on my way to work etc you both make my heart so happy oh and then the other one yeah so sweet the other one that you will appreciate is from emily victory who says my neurodivergent coming of age was memorizing all of the bells in fifth grade after finishing the exam early then spending the next year drawing scenes from the mask of red death in art class upside down and smiley oh <laughs> uh, i just love that it's like a a universal like neurodivergent right spooky neurodivergence spooky nerd experience uh, i love that people have been so feral about that episode that makes me really it brings me so much joy yeah. i hope that people are equally feral about this episode because i feel like this was um the graduation like from poe into <laughs> the next phase yes. was becoming a vintage goth um <laughs> uh, well thank you all so much for that i'm so happy uh if you would like to see more from both of us if you're looking for me you can find me all across the web at midge munster and you can find me at penny snark and until next time Good bye. bye.